Stem Cells at Lunch Digested is brought to you by the Centre for Stem Cells and Regenerative Medicine at King's College London. Hello and welcome to Stem Cells at Lunch Digested. My name is David Danovi and uh, we are here today for an interview to William Roman. Uh, so maybe I'll just refer to your your recent stem cell lunch uh, which was really really interesting and uh, start asking um just a little bit if you can tell a, about yourself and a bit of a view of the work that's happening in uh, your lab at the moment yeah yeah so um so basically i went to do my undergraduate undergraduate studies at uh, mcgill university in montreal canada and then i did a phd as part of this myograd project, uh, well, it's a myograd PhD program, which is between Paris and Berlin. It was this idea to try to kind of have a uh, play in both countries and kind of be in between two labs. And so I got uh, my PhD from there, working in the lab of Edgar Gomsch, who uh, was in Paris at the time. Uh, and so, yeah, I got my, my PhD from uh, the Paris University, and then I went to do kind of finish my work as Ed, the Edgar Gomsch lab moved to Lisbon. So I moved as well to do a short postdoc, kind of finish this PhD work. And then I went to the lab of Pua Munoz uh, in Barcelona, where that's where I performed the work that I presented uh, the um, during the stem cell lunch. And then, um, and in parallel, I'm also kind of leading this myochip project, which is basically kind of this multi-collaborative uh, consortium uh, where we're trying to really enhance muscle in vitro system to add a vascular system as well as 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 motor neurons and so that's kind of uh, what I'm doing still in Lisbon at the moment and then I just moved recently to Stanford for a short stay to do to apply spatial genomics uh, to the muscle uh, muscle cells okay cool and so can you tell us uh, what brought you to science and in particular to biology yeah, I mean, I guess I don't have this uh, super inspiring. Uh, I wasn't, you know, uh, story from from where I was a child and 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 was playing with with insects. Um, I kind of one thing led to with tardigrades myself. Uh, the the tardigrades are, are responsible for. <laughs> you have a much better story than I do. Uh, so yeah, no, I I kind of one thing led to another. Somehow biology always kind of spoke to me. It was the right amount of like not too hardcore science of a uh, you know pure the rigid uh strong science that could be math or physics uh but not too flexible so it seemed to convene very well with with the way i see uh kind of the world in in my perspective and i i just got very fascinated during my undergraduate studies on physiology how like this the, the human body or just living systems in general how everything is kind of driven evolutionarily to to make this perfect integrated system i find that fascinating uh and it's you know it's a level of sophistication that that way exceeds anything that we ever built and so i think it's worth uh spending a life kind of you know trying to understand as best as we can with the tools that we have actually what was very impressive about your your presentation is is how neat the the quantification of of the movies of, of like nuclear migration was and so so did, did you have um interaction on the sort of quantitative aspects of, of those and like where you were you tapping into different expertise uh, in terms of the physics of it and the mathematics of it all yeah that's a good question on kind of like the the approach and uh 
I do think, so I was trained as a cell biologist, but in the muscle field, which uh, were not too many. Uh, and what I really liked about cell biology was kind of, you know, you see kind of a, a cell moving around and you have to derive some way of deriving some data, some quantitative, uh, you know, output. And so kind of making the assays, you know, being, I felt that that's really where the innovation comes. You know, how do you design assays to, to kind of answer specific questions? And so that's something that I really, really enjoyed in cell biology. And, and so that's definitely what, what you could see in the, in the work. But of course, cell biology was, you know, every time you do more, some more live imaging work is the number of cells that you're doing is relatively low. Uh, and so we're very far from, you know, everything that's more genomics and this high, you know, big data collection that you can get on, you know, uh, you know, transcriptomics or, or all these types of, of, of new techniques. And so that's something that I'm trying to bring is more quantitative analysis as much as we can into, into sometimes the very qualitative world of cell, of cell biology and muscle cell biology. Um, and this is why I'm here in Stanford to kind of try to to bridge these, you know, get, try to, to the best of both worlds, kind of a strong qualitative and quantitative um, data collection to, to, to answer, to answer, yeah, interesting fundamental biological questions. And actually, from, from uh, interacting recently, um, really at the interface with, with biotech, one, one thing that I, I find fascinating is, is that ultimately the way a project is conceived in academia it kind of almost push you to become first kind of the best technician for your project initially. And then once you have everything ready as an asset, then you can, can sort of finally get into doing interesting things. And, and of course, there is an incumbency problem where, where big, big labs that are kind of exactly working on the same thing, you, you kind of distribute a little bit of this, this kind of technical need across the, the, different, um, the different researchers. But, but I always wondered if, if there are some inefficiencies in the system, and I, I always wonder whether whether sort of ultimately taking the ego out of uh, of the equation wouldn't be good sometimes in academia. What do you think? Oh, I think you're absolutely. I mean, you're absolutely right. But in in it is true that uh, usually there has to be kind of a technological advances at the beginning of a project, and that usually is the kind of the rate limiting step usually takes a lot of time and then usually that individual has to move on and we're always promoting mobility so how do you keep technologies within labs is always challenging i think for group leaders and 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 people who have their own lab uh but in the same time we also have to recognize that uh, the goal of academia is not only to produce great science but also to train future scientists and i'm not saying that's not possible in industry but uh i'm wondering if if the Kind of this, this, the structures that you were describing in academia are not kind of necessary as a as a learning phase for the trainees, um, and this struggle is painful. Um, but at the same time, it is a it it, it kind of is kind of the learning experience uh, in biology where everything is somewhat complicated. So on the purely pragmatic, I would fully agree. But maybe on the training, it does have a few advantages that that should not be overlooked. Um, it, it actually makes a lot of sense, and uh, and it's really refreshing that some funding bodies are beginning to consider, for example, the the number of independent um, alumni from your own group as a sort of measure of value of of, 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 of a senior researcher, and and definitely that that's that's makes a lot of sense um, because because I think we have some um, of our listeners who are 
uh, scientists and, and uh, um, are interested in, in aspects that are more technical. But we also have very young people that uh, are just interested in understanding what happens in a lab. And uh, from, from the point of view of like uh, uh, the low and the high, uh, can, you, can you share a few moments uh, now that we're kind of... We're kind of tapping into the, the, the desperate life of a scientist or, or then the, the thrill of, of a discovery. So can you sort of give us a range of moments? Yeah, no, that's, a, that's a great question. And, you know, I think, I think being a good scientist is knowing how to deal with failure because that's most of what you're going to get. Um, so I'll start with the easy part, which was the, maybe one of the best moments. I'm a very, I use a lot of visual tools to, to see what's happening. And I think for me, when I get to see something for the first time that I'm maybe the only person who's ever seen, even if it's very small and unimportant, but I know that I'm maybe the, the first human to ever witness um, something, I think that's kind of, I guess you were saying not to put the ego in, but somehow that brings me a lot of uh, pleasure. And uh, and yeah, I think when I performed these laser injuries to muscle and then I saw you know in live the, the, the nuclei moving to these injuries, I think for me, it was uh, maybe one of the highlights in, in my research career. Uh, um, and maybe the, the hardest uh, part is, is kind of this abandoning projects. I think that's the hardest thing that, uh, that we tend to drag. We tend to believe in, in, in the faith. We have faith in, in a certain project, and then it's, it rarely goes the way we want it. And uh, knowing how to cut Cut it is always difficult, um, but yes, I, I think those would be the two. And and now zooming in more technical, what what was very interesting was this uncoupling between uh, the transcription and the translation happening around the the the, um, the wounding part. Can can you give us a sense and kind of how how peculiar to the system is this mechanism, or or is it something that happens also in other type of lesions? Uh, I, I'm not sure. I think what's beautiful with muscle cells is that they have these these myofibrils or sarcomeres that I was describing. So these are very you know unique structures, and so you can damage them, and they're going to repair. Uh, it's, they're very organized, and because the cell is very big, you can easily do these injuries. I'm not sure there was that much work looking at how organelles repair. Uh, I know there's a Wallace uh, Marshall in, in UCSF that's interested in that, and he uses kind of these big unicellular like stentor. Um, uh, marine kind of uh, living systems to, to study this. Most people working on kind of injury have really studied membrane recently. And but this is a very fast process that goes uh, quick, quick, very quickly within the orders of minutes. Here, what I was referring to is something that occurs over several hours. So you really have this transcriptional shift. So from what I know, I'm not aware of any uh, too many too many works looking at this kind of trans where translation and transcription happens. Um, but it could be very peculiar to the muscle because it's such a big cell. And it was really shown very elegantly in, in your presentation. Well, go, go, coming back to, to the sort of um, difference between expertise, uh, leadership and management that we sort of touched upon. So how do you feel now in, in the next steps and, and, and uh, what, what is challenging or rewarding in regards to being like a, a more senior researcher? Yeah, I would to, say it's definitely a learning degree. process. You know, I think as scientists, we're often just kind of put into the management role all of a sudden. And then there's a lot of things you got to set up the lab, set up the techniques and then, you know, hire uh, the management. I mean, it all comes kind of crashing down on you. 
yeah, we can have one or two day trainings here, here and there, but overall it, it never really prepares you. Uh, I guess what I wanted to do originally was kind of have little clones of myself to do the work. Uh, but then with time, you rapidly realize that that's never going to be the case and it's for the best. And so I think over time, what I've really enjoyed was kind of the, the, the personalities that I had under me. Uh, they, they all have very unique ones. Uh, and sometimes it's challenging, but it's also very rewarding and, and to see them grow. And to, I guess my goal now is really to have them do the science according to who they are and to express themselves through that science. And, and I'm just a facilitator in that. Uh, and that's really something that I guess before science, this science productivity was at the heights and now it's probably on equal par with, with kind of the development of the, my, my team members. It's really, really nice words. And uh, one, one thing that was very close to my heart in your presentation was kind of using live imaging, but also endpoint imaging kind of often in, in the same experiment. And uh, I think live imaging, for example, is something that is not mostly used to its full potential. And um, I mean, you have beautiful reporters, etc. cetera. But um, so, so, so yeah, j just, just a point about what what do you like the most about imaging and and sort of how 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 did you combine effectively yeah, the different methods? Yeah, I mean, methods? I think uh, thankfully we've seen the industry kind of catch up or catch up or at least you know match what what, what are the expectations of the of of the scientists is. so you know if you can now find uh, either microscopes that are very performant with different types of acquisitions at different uh, with so many different ways to and tools, you have a bunch of ways to manipulate the cells. So you have, for example, things like AdGene, where you can just have this repertoire of so many different plasmids of things that you can express, whether it's, it's uh, you know, just tagging proteins, but optogenetic probes as well, uh, you know, calcium mark, um, like uh, calcium reporters is just constantly being updated. And I think that's a great resource. And then more on the material side, you know, whether it's buying micro devices directly from companies or just buying EBD dishes that already have integrated grids, which makes it so easy to just do live imaging and then, you know, fix, stain, do whatever, and then and then do correlated microscopy. Uh, I remember before I used to take a marker and like mark more or less an area where the cell was, you know, these grids completely revolutionized this, this, this kind of approach. So, so I do think that the combination of live imaging within just this post fix is, is really great. Uh, and, and something that should be should be explored because all the tools are available. Uh, but yes, I always like things when they move, and so I will always I always like over you know expressing tac proteins, seeing how they move. Uh, I think that's what that's having this this high spatial temporal resolution is something that I'm very attached to. Yeah, it was beautiful. Um, right? Any any final advice on uh, someone who's thinking of pursuing a career in research? Um, I mean, I don't know if I have the, the pedigree yet to give advice, but I think what I try um, to promote in the people under me is to really do the science that you like, not just in the subject, but also in the techniques, um, because that's what you're going to do for most of the, at least the initial phase of your training. And so to really use your PhD as a platform to test things out, uh, see what type of science you like to do. And... Uh, also outside the lab, uh, I think biology is is probably going to grow is is going to grow in the next century, I think, and so there's going to be much, many more opportunities that are not necessarily at the bench, 
Uh, and so really using that training uh, time to really explore what is it that you like to do. I think the hardest thing of a PhD is to know what you're going to do after the PhD. Uh, and so, yeah, really using it as a platform is, is something that, that I think is, is adequate. So thank you so much to William yeah, from across the ocean. Great question. And uh, great pleasure to to speak. And goodbye from myself. Um, and thank you for listening thank to the Stem Cell Lunch podcast. Mm -hmm.